want to welcome you to church tonight. If you're here as a guest, just want to say hi. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor of Generation Church. And I'm about to preach a message to you based on the song, Joy to the World. This is a song we sang tonight, Joy to the World. It's the most popular Christmas song in the world. Uh, and it really makes sense that that's true because everybody wants joy. Everybody here, you want joy, right? I think every human does. That's why every single commercial you're going to see in the next four weeks is essentially promising you the same thing, that if you buy their product, you'll have joy. That's what they all boil down to. If you buy this truck, guys, you'll have joy. If you wear the right perfume, ladies, you'll have joy. Whatever it is you're going through, if you eat this fake meat hamburger patty, you'll find joy. If you use Preparation H, you'll go from sad to glad. It all comes down to finding joy. And so no wonder Joy to the World is the most popular Christmas song. Everybody wants joy. Many people promise it, but you start to wonder, can anybody really deliver it? This song, Joy to the World, was written by Isaac Watts in 1719, inspired by Psalm 98. And many people think he was writing about the second coming of Christ, although it's become the most popular song to celebrate the first coming of Christ. But this song says, Joy to the World, and here's the punchline. It says, The Lord is come. That's why there can be joy in the world, because the Lord, whom we call Jesus Christ, has come. Why did he come? Well, that song tells you he came not to start a religion. He came not to give you a list of rules to follow. But he came, ultimately, one of his primary goals was to give you joy. That's how important your joy is to God. John 17, verse 13, Jesus says, Now I am coming to you, he says to God, and he says this about us. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Jesus wants you to be filled with his joy. If you want that type of joy, the song, Joy to the World, it actually has four clear commands in it for humankind, for us, that if we'll follow, we'll guarantee that you have a lasting, filled to the brim type of joy, which is really cool because every other type of joy will fade away. Isn't that true? I mean, you can get great presents this Christmas, but the, the wonder wears off and the joy fades. You can have a special time with your family, all sitting around the fire with all the kids, drinking hot cocoa, and eventually the baby's going to have a diaper blowout. The joy will fade. But Jesus offers a joy that never fades. So here are four commands in the song, Joy to the World. I don't know if you've ever noticed these before, but there are four commands in the original song for mankind. And here they are for human beings. Number one, receive your king. It says, let earth receive her king. So what should we do? We have to receive our king. Christmas decorations are completely out of control, aren't they? Like they're everywhere you look. There are people just going nuts, decorating their houses to the brim. Like, Maybe you have a a house like this in your neighborhood where it's just like you can see it from space. Do you know my wife has six Christmas trees in our house? I didn't know that was a thing until we got married. I thought there was a one tree per family quota. But apparently there is more available to you. 
Amy wants us to have trees to the full. That's what she wants us to have. And there are people who just, they decorate like crazy for Christmas. And I started wondering, why does so many people go so crazy with Christmas decorations? And many of these people aren't even Christians. Why is it, though, that they would be so passionate about decorating for Christmas and celebrating Christmas when they don't follow Jesus Christ the other 11 months of the year? And I realized, I think it's that everybody wants just a piece of that Christmas magic, that sense of comfort and joy and peace that we love about Christmas, those things that we love. They want that in their lives because the world that we live in oftentimes doesn't bring us joy. The world is kind of a messed up place. And you know that, especially if you watch the news. That's why I discourage watching the news because it's depressing. But at Christmas time, people, they love to create magical time with their families and try to capture that, that joy that is so tantalizing. I think that's something that we all want. We all long for a better place. And do you realize that the good things that we long for to, to experience in the world are available, but only in one place? The things we long for, fairness and justice, goodness, prosperity, and peace, they are only available in the kingdom of God. These things are promised through the kingdom of God. And these are things that we all want. And I think that's why people get so passionate about elections is because they hope that the next person elected will be the one who ushers in a new era of prosperity and peace and justice. But then they find, well, that person didn't live up to my hopes and I've got to wait for the next election cycle to hope again. But you need to realize that the kingdom of God is only made available through the king. That man, the one who can bring those things into reality, has already come. And that's really what the Christmas celebration is all about. Jesus, the king, has come. And he comes with his own government, which is good because ours is kind of messed up. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. No more elections. (laughs) He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This was a prophecy written 700 years um, before Jesus was born. And we see in that passage that all the good things that we long for, justice and peace and prosperity, they're only available in the kingdom of God. They're coming in the kingdom of God. Every single human being, whether they consider themselves religious or not, They're longing for these qualities that are only found in the kingdom of God. And this is so important because I want you to understand, you cannot have the kingdom without the king. So many people are trying to have the kingdom, but they won't receive their king. They're hoping that a politician will usher in the kingdom or that medical breakthroughs will let them experience the health that they want in the kingdom of God. They want to have peace on earth, but they don't realize that only comes through the king. Why would you spend your whole life longing for the qualities that are available in the kingdom of God, but not accept the king who has come? 
that would be tragic. I want to encourage you to accept, receive Jesus as your king. He was born as a baby, but he doesn't call himself a holy, sweet, little, precious, eight-pound, five-ounce baby Jesus. The Bible tells us he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He commands the armies of heaven. He rules and he reigns. And the good news is this. If you receive him as your king, your king, all the good things in the kingdom of God, they become a reality for you. That brings so much joy into our lives, knowing that the benefits of the kingdom have come through our king. Fairness and justice and prosperity and health and peace. These things have come through Jesus. No wonder we have so much joy when we think about Jesus coming into the world. That's the first thing. Receive your king. Here's the second thing. Prepare him room. It says, let every heart prepare him room. And at Christmas, you think about pregnant Mary and adoptive baby daddy Joseph wandering through Bethlehem looking for a place to have this baby. And we've seen the kids' Christmas play. You know, the innkeeper comes out and says, I'm sorry, there's no room in the inn. They couldn't find a place to welcome Jesus into the world. But do you realize that Jesus is still looking for a place to stay? He is still looking for a place to come And stay, and he wants to stay with you in your heart. He wants to be in your life and have a relationship with you. In Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So think about this. We just talked about him being the king of kings. And now we're talking about the most powerful, the greatest ruler in the history of the universe. He wants to come into your life and be your friend. When you think about your your favorite president or public leader, try messaging them, emailing them, and try to have lunch with them. They're probably not going to accept the invitation. right? But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wants to come into your life and be your friend. So imagine Jesus knocking on a door, okay? Imagine Jesus, he's knocking on a door. You're smart, I know, so you know there is not a physical, literal door. Not like a a gateway to Narnia that he's trying to, to come into your life. That's not what I'm talking about. But spiritually, he wants to come into your heart and have a relationship with you. He's there, hello? I'd really like to come in and spend time with you. And so many people, they just... They just ignore. They say, oh, this isn't really a good time for me to let Jesus into my life. And it's sad because Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. What that means is that Jesus coming into this world physically brings God's love physically into this world. It's the true love that we're all longing for, and it's only found through Jesus Christ. So by opening the door and letting Jesus in, you're letting the love of God into your life. Maybe you're wondering, how do I open the door? Well, you open the door, the Bible says, by trusting in him. Trusting him that he is who he said he was, the son of God, that he did what he said he would do. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again, something no one else has ever done. And that proves he was who he said he was. You trust in him that he is that and that he did that and that he can save you alone. And he comes into your life and he takes up residence in your heart. 
in your life, so to speak. Where do I get that concept from Ephesians 3.17? says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So you think about a plant has roots and the roots absorb nutrients and water so the plant can grow. You have roots spiritually. And in order to grow and be strong, you need your roots to absorb the right kind of nutrients. A lot of people, they're trying to, they're trying to absorb things and they're, they're looking for things to satisfy them that are not the right kind of nutrients, but rather can even be poisonous and defeating. But the love of God, the Bible says, if you let your roots grow down into the love of God, his love for you will keep you strong. That is what enables you to face what God has called you to face in your life. And I love how this passage says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. I just want to encourage you. What this is saying is that you're going to need special power from God just to understand how much God loves you. God is saying through his word here, like, listen, I love you so much. You're not going to really be able to understand it. And when you think you've started to understand it, you still haven't even gotten halfway there. You could follow Jesus the rest of your life, and on your deathbed, you still won't even be scratching the surface in understanding of how much God loves you personally. I hope you would know more. I'm praying that you will have a new, deeper revelation of God's love for you, because the more you understand how much he loves you, the stronger you become. So that's why we're encouraged to prepare him room in our hearts. But I got to say, some of us, in order to make room for Jesus, we might have to get rid of some other things that are taking up space in our hearts. You might have a relationship with someone who is not bringing joy into your life. A boyfriend, a girlfriend who doesn't follow Jesus and are dragging you down. Maybe there's a habit, something you're stuck in that's robbing you from joy. Maybe fear is robbing you from joy, you've got to pull a Marie Kondo from Netflix and kick it out of your life, right? There was this popular Netflix show, and this lady, she said, if it doesn't spark joy, throw it out. And a lot of you guys, you lost some of your favorite things because your wife saw that show. She started throwing all your stuff away. But the principle is good. The idea that, man, there are things in your life that have to go to make room for Jesus to come in and really fill your life with what you want, the love of God. And here's what I love about Jesus Christ. He's the best possible house guest you could ever have. You know, they say most house guests are like fish. They start to stink after three days. (laughs) Jesus is the best house guest. Because what he does is he comes into your heart and he starts to evict all the other house guests who don't belong there anymore. So he goes up to fear and he's like, you've been evicted, be gone. He goes up to insecurity, you've been evicted, go away. He goes up to sin, he's like, get out of here, sin. I'm taking over this place. Let Jesus enter into your life. I want to encourage you, if you haven't opened your heart up to Jesus yet, do it. That's the only way to have joy, you'll find that as he takes over your life, the benefits of the kingdom of God become reality in your life. Peace and joy, goodness, prosperity, God's blessings, those things come to you. And it's only possible when you let Jesus in. 
So here's the third thing. It says this in the song. It says, no more let sins and sorrows grow. And it goes on to say, nor thorns infest the ground. So you might wonder, why are we singing about gardening at Christmas time? What this is about is it goes back to the curse of sin. And the curse of sin, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, put mankind in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Everything was great. God said it was very good. He gave them free will because he loved them. If he didn't give them free will, they wouldn't have the option to choose to love him in return. So God gave them free will out of love, and they chose to sin and break God's laws. Because of that, the curse of sin entered the world. God would go on to promise that Jesus would come to redeem them from the curse, but in the meantime, they were going to experience the effects of sin. And here's what he says, Genesis chapter 3. To the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it, It will grow thorns and thistles for you. So this part of it, he's talking about how the earth itself, creation, is affected by the curse of sin. So when he talks about thorns and thistles growing, thorns are a physical representation of the curse of sin. That makes sense, right? They hurt. They're unpleasant. They serve no beneficial purpose to us. I used to go mountain biking all the time in the desert, and I got tired of pulling cactus thorns out of my flesh. But the thing is, these were not part of God's original design for creation. But sin came into this world, and it affected everything. It affects nature. It affects the earth. That's why we experience a lot of the sad things we do. And I I don't think people realize that, in fact, all of your sadness that you'll experience in your entire life is a result of the curse of sin. The fact that people get sick, you could be healthy and eat healthy and exercise and still get sick because of sin. Sickness came into the world when the curse of sin came in. The fact that people, they age, they sag and they bag and they eventually (laughs) die, that's all a result of the curse of sin. God never intended for humans to die. The fact that storms come through and wipe out cities, that's all part of curse of sin. And then sin has affected us and our nature, and that causes us to make bad choices. Many people think about Christianity, and they think about, do this, don't do this. And the Bible does tell us that there are things God does not want us to do, but when God says, don't do this, he's not trying to limit your fun. He's trying to limit your pain. So he says, don't sin because it's going to hurt you and it's going to lead to a life of sorrows. And we've all sinned. I have. We make bad choices. Um, And those choices oftentimes hurt you, right? When you hold a grudge against someone, when you get yourself into trouble, when you lose your temper, when you say things and you regret it, all all these things, it hurts us. James chapter 1 goes on to say that when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it starts to make sense why the song says, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
It's saying that you can have joy despite sin. Jesus came and he took a crown of thorns among his, upon his head so that you didn't have to spend the rest of your life suffering amongst thorns in the cursed world that we live in. It's telling us that there is freedom from the curse of sin available in Jesus Christ. It says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. That's why we talk about the cross as Christians, because something incredibly significant happened there. Jesus did die there, but the power of sin also died there. Jesus took the curse upon himself so that you and I could be free from the curse of sin. That means we're free from the effects of the curse in every way. When we put our faith in Jesus, our body might get old and die, but Jesus says those who believe in me will never die. You know that there's life after death. We know that in our own power, we cannot resist sin. That's why so oftentimes we say, I still do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I know I should do. But you realize that Jesus Christ actually gives you the power to say no to sin and to live for God, which leads to your own joy. <laughs> it's so powerful what is available to us in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. If you're tired of sin, stealing your joy, then let Jesus Christ bring new life to you. That's why we have joy. Because Jesus has come in and he's given us victory over sin and death. Accepting him and letting him give you victory, that's the only way to be free from the curse of sin and all its effects. You can be stuck in sin, getting hurt by the thorns of sin, torn up, dragged down, or you can let Jesus set you free. And that's so good. That means that your past doesn't have to define you any longer. Your mistakes don't get the final say in your life. Fear doesn't have control over you. Death does not even win in your life. This means that Jesus has the final say in your life. And he says, I'm victorious, so you're victorious in me. That's why we have joy. And that's why we sing for joy when we celebrate the coming of Christ. That song says that Jesus, he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I'd rather have the blessings of God in my life than the curse of sin ruining my life. Anyone else? And then it says this fourth. It says, let men their songs employ. What this is saying is let mankind sing for joy. Now that you, as a man or woman, have accepted Jesus Christ, if you, if you have, it's saying that the joy that has come into your life through Jesus is too good to keep locked up. That's why, as Christians, the Bible does not tell us to sit in silence and think about the good things God has done for us. It tells us to sing for joy to clap your hands, to give praise, to raise your hands in worship, to shout for joy, because we have experienced something in Jesus that changes us from the inside out. There's a joy that results from having the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. It tells us in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That's why as Christians, we have joy. It's not because we're trying to pretend we're happy. We're not, we don't want to fake 
being happy because we go through difficult times and, and sadness is a part of this life, but we have a joy that overcomes the difficult things that we face. And this song, this is encouraging us to employ your song, to use it, to sing for joy. What I need you to understand is that you cannot be filled with joy until you let it out. To sit there in silence is an unnatural response to a supernatural miracle. It doesn't even make sense to live your life not expressing the joy that you have received through Jesus. It doesn't even make sense. Psychologists, not even Christians, but psychologists tell us that your joy, your happiness cannot be fully realized until you share it with other people. That's why when you experience good things in your life, you can't wait to call your friend or your family members and tell them about the good things in your life. God designed you that way to share the good things that you have received. And that's what this song is encouraging us to do, to sing it out, to tell people about what Jesus has done for you, to show people the joy that you've received from. That's why we even love smiling, you know, towards people when we encounter them in the community. I know some of you do love Jesus, but sometimes you forget to tell your face. And... (laughs) I just want you to remind your face that you do love Jesus in your heart and that he has given you joy, right? Because it is powerful. It impacts people, makes a difference in their lives. People notice it. This song, it says, let men their songs employ. And one of the lines, it says, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Right? The idea is that you're going to sing and your song of joy will echo off of all creation. I never understood what that meant until I really sat down and thought about it. I just sang it for years. But it's true that when you let joy out, it's going to affect, it's going to impact other people and change them. People can't help but notice joy in this world because so many people are sad and depressed and they're looking for happiness. And when you come along with happiness, with joy, they're going to notice that. It's going to impact them. They'll be like, what are you smoking? And you'll tell them, I'm not smoking anything. It's actually Jesus Christ who's brought me this joy. So be joyful and let it out. That's a command, and it's because you won't experience the fullness of joy until you let it out. Some of you might struggle during a message like this that talks about joy, especially if you have things going on in your life that are difficult or painful. It's difficult to feel joyful when there are painful things in your life. You need to understand the good news is this. The kind of joy that Jesus brings is a powerful and persistent joy, and it overcomes the circumstances of your life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. The apostle Peter, he's writing to Christians. He says, you love him, talking about Jesus, even though you have never seen him. Well, that applies to me. I've never seen him. Have you? So this applies to you too. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Here's why I read this to you. Because Peter was writing to Christians who are suffering severe persecution. Just because they followed and worshiped Jesus Christ. 
They were being evicted from their homes, imprisoned, drug away, oftentimes tortured and even executed. And here is the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to them and he's saying, you haven't even met the one you're suffering for. And yet your life is filled with inexpressible joy. That should really get your attention. If you're not a Christian, this should really get your attention. How is it that these Christians are being tortured and killed and imprisoned, all for Jesus, who they never even met, and their life is still filled with joy? That tells you that there's something about Jesus that overcomes circumstances and natural reasoning. There is a supernatural joy available through Jesus Christ. That's because joy can't be taken from followers of Jesus. Because Jesus can't be taken from followers of Jesus. That's why. Jesus gives us a courageous joy that lasts and persists. Maybe there's something that's been taken from you in recent history. Maybe a job or a spouse or a home or a child. Uh, Maybe a dream has been taken from you and you feel a sense of sadness, which is normal to feel. If you've been unable to find joy in a season of sadness, it might be that you're dealing in the wrong type of joy. You could be only dealing in a contingent joy. And that's what most people in this world really ever experience. They only ever experience a contingent joy. They, they say, I'll be happy if. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy if I get a better job. I'll be happy when I make more money. I'll be happy if I can get married. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when my kids leave. I'll be happy when, if they come back. I'll be happy when I retire, right? But then we find out that that type of joy, it fades quickly. You get a new car, but the car gets old and it wears out. You get a spouse, and then you get disappointed. You might get a better job, but still, none of these things lead to lasting joy. And if you continue on this roller coaster of disappointment and joy, you'll become eventually a hollow, sad, disappointed, fearful person. But there's a courageous joy that we experience through Jesus Christ that cannot be taken away because Jesus can't be taken away. That means death can't take your joy because Jesus is greater than death. Failures can't take your joy because Jesus is greater than sin. Broken relationships can't take your joy because Jesus said he would never abandon you. Sickness can't take your joy because he promised you that whether on this side of the grave or the next, you'll eventually be healed forever. Disappointment can't take your joy because Jesus shows us that even when your plans don't work out, God's plans will always work out. That's why we have joy. And in John 16, 22, Jesus told his followers, no one will take away your joy. They can't take away your joy because they can't take away Jesus. Jesus has come, and so joy has come. If you want this kind of joy, there's good news. The Lord is come. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And just to have a moment of privacy between you and God. Maybe you're here right now. Someone might have invited you to church or you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I'm I'm not a Christian. 
but I want to be. Or maybe you're considering taking that step of faith. Or maybe you know you need to. Well, this is an important moment in your life. In this moment of deciding whether or not to receive your king and open your heart to him, this could be the most important moment of your entire life and could have eternal impact on your life. And I want to encourage you, if you're here in this moment and you're considering accepting Jesus right now, it's not an accident. God is drawing you and he's calling. He's knocking on the door of your heart and just asking for permission to come into your life and have a relationship with you and let you experience the love that God has for you. So really, it's our choice whether or not to receive him or to just ignore him. And I want to encourage you to not ignore him, but rather accept him into your life and receive him right now. If you're ready, I'm just going to lead you. In, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, um, and you can pray this prayer with me, just to help express what's in your heart. If you mean it, God will hear it. But just pray this with me and say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness, and I know that I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that he rose again so that I could have everlasting life. I accept Jesus as my king and as my friend. I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. I trust him and I accept the joy that he has for me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.